Well, we certainly love the British royal family, don't we? You know, it's a rare time. I check out at uh, Kroger, uh, and I do check out at Kroger, by the way. I do. I go to the grocery store all the time. I know some people think ministers don't do that, but uh, I do. But it's a rare time that uh, they're not on the cover of some magazine uh, there. My wife watches uh, the the morning uh, network TV shows, and uh, I think it's a rare week when there isn't at least a story about something that Kate is wearing or uh, something that's occurring in the journey of uh, Harry and Meghan as they supposedly move towards the common life, although their life doesn't look very common to me. But if Kate wears fuchsia or wears something by a particular designer, that will be the rage. And people want that color or they want to wear that designer. If Harry and Meghan have a new cause, uh, people will line up with their checkbooks to write contributions because they want to be affiliated with whatever the royal cause might be. They want to emulate. They want to associate with those things that are known to be important to royalty. And if people are rich or royal or famous, people will try to elevate their own status by being seen as doing something similar, wearing the same clothes, whatever it may be. There's people's status goes up. Oh, I just love that color on you. Yes, Kate's wearing that color this year. Oh, I tried to get that and I couldn't find it anywhere. Well, I think they're sold out. And now it becomes this sense of, whoa, she got the last fuchsia dress at Talbot's or wherever it may be, you know? I mean, it, uh, or whatever it, you know, and I'm just being totally ludicrous about this, but that's, this is what happens. People follow, and they want to do what the important people are doing. When William the Conqueror came to Britain in the 1100s, he, he, he brought French with him from Normandy. And uh, as would happen, a lot of the court begins speaking French, and so French becomes popular among people who want to be around the court because they want to be seen as important too. This lends uh, an aura of respectability to people. When uh, one of the Russian czars in the late 1800s married a French princess, they began speaking French in the court in Moscow. And we see this. People want to emulate what they see, the royal, the rich, the famous doing, because it, uh, it is all deemed very respectable. Well, this is even true in ancient Judah, 800, 850 years before the time of Christ. It actually begins during the reign of Solomon. And uh, we all know Solomon had a, a significant number of wives. 
his wives numbered into the hundreds. And while people will want to make jokes about that, what it really ought to tell us is these are not marriages like our marriages. Many of them are political alliances sealed with marriage so that there's a guarantee I won't attack you, you won't attack me. So this means that among all these wives of Solomon, many of them are coming from foreign lands. And Solomon, you know, for all of his wisdom, doesn't get in the way of them bringing their idols with them. They are coming from lands outside of Palestine, and they are bringing their gods with them, and they begin to erect shrines and altars. And pretty soon, in Jerusalem, you find that there are Uh, There are priests that have been imported from wherever one of the queens has come from. And there are now shrines erected on this corner or that corner. And we can go and make sacrifices at the various altars. And it lasts for about three generations. And in those three generations, the people of God have gone from saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, to Jehovah God, Yahweh, being one God among many. And if you noticed in the passage, Asa has to repair the vestibule of the house of the Lord. It's fallen into disrepair. People are spending their money and making offerings and sacrificing at other altars for other gods, They are practicing idolatry. And while it may seem shocking to us to realize that this is taking place in the history of Israel, we have to remember it was all very respectable. The king's wives were doing this. And Asa, the grandson, great-grandson, excuse me, of Solomon, when it falls to him to begin to deal with this, has to take his own mother and remove her from being the the queen mother and take you know remove her and knock down her idols in order for the worship of the true god to truly take root again in Jerusalem these were respectable things these were respectable people it lended respectability to the lives of the citizens of Jerusalem to participate in these things. Now, in more than four decades of being a pastor, I think one of the hardest things I've ever tried to do in preaching and teaching is to translate the experience of ancient idolatry into our postmodern experience. Most of us think, well, I don't have a shrine in my home. I don't have an idol. I haven't carved anything out of wood or commissioned anything or gone to the God store and bought, uh, bought, bought some God from Mesopotamia. So this is not a concern for me. And to try to translate the experience of idolatry in those days to understand 
that there are things in our lives that are not just merely things we like that are misplaced priorities. There are things in our lives that have brought their way into our lives and without us ever noticing it, we now actually serve them to a greater degree and with more devotion than we do the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this always brings the need to mention um, illustrations. Name one. Remember how respectable this is? This is the whole point. So this means I have to name things that are pretty respectable. And I would say the newest God in the American pantheon of gods being worshipped other than this God would be politics. Now this is not party. This is politics. And if you think I'm off base here, let me just say, the last time you witnessed to somebody to try to convert them to something vital to you, were you trying to convert them to faith in Jesus Christ or to agreeing with your view of something political? The last time you really spent energy trying to convince somebody about the truth, was it the truth about Christ or was it the truth about what they should believe politically? You see, we spend so much more of our energy. We have given so much more devotion to the things of politics and the idea of actually going out and, I mean, I I hear people all the time, well, this person just stopped me in the grocery store and they just started telling me, you know, they'd seen my bumper sticker and why I was wrong and what I should do. I don't have anybody saying that about Jesus. But it's all very respectable. The longest standing God in the American pantheon of idols would be materialism. Now, wealth is neutral. Wealth in and of itself is neutral. What we do with wealth is what makes it good or bad. And how we pursue wealth is what makes makes it a gift from God or a materialistic idol. When we sacrifice relationships and when we expect uh, that sense of divine joy to come to us when we seek new luxuries, to expand the luxuries of our life, we have moved from taking what is a, could be a good gift from God and turning it into an idol. I mean, we all know Families that have been broken, uh, either in the pursuit of materialism or after a generation of people have passed away, and, you know, this isn't about the money. We all get along, and then the attorney finds out this was really about the money. 
and families don't speak to each other anymore. And what had been a gift in one generation is a wedge in the next. And what we find is that we have really loved money more than people. And that, my friends, is idolatry. But it's all very respectable. You tell somebody that uh, I'm not going to do this because my my spiritual life is more important than that extra money, and they will think you have lost your mind. Now, I have a confession to make. I have a good friend who's been at his church for over 30 years now, and he said, I was so glad when I was there long enough that I didn't have to explain myself anymore. And I haven't been here that long yet, so i got to explain myself. Um... Each Sunday I stand up to preach. I preach to myself. And I think that we're all enough alike that I hope that if I preach to myself, I hope it sticks on somebody else. I hope it works its way into somebody else's heart. So let me say this about these gods. I had something of a crisis of faith during the great financial crisis. I've always been a little bit of an amateur economist, and it did look to me like we were on the verge of losing the banking system, which could have meant that you could go swipe your credit card and it wouldn't take, you could go to the ATM and there wouldn't be any money. I felt we were on the verge of something very dire. And this was a Friday, and I had to stand up and preach on Sunday morning. And what was I going to say? If I was going to say, our trust is in the living God, every Sunday we pray to God for daily bread, and our trust is in God's provision, no matter whether the cupboard is you know, as big as most people's master bedroom or whether the cupboard is a tiny little place with a loaf of bread. And I realized that as much as I wanted to provide for my family, provide good things for my daughters, for my wife, for my future. I had, to, I had to be real honest about what I really trusted in. And it wasn't until I was able to come to that place and say, if all this goes away, I will trust in God and believe that God will hold my hand. It wasn't until then that I could get up and preach. Politics. I'm like you. I mean, for the last 20 years, there have been months where it seemed like if this election doesn't turn out this way, we are all in a lot of trouble. If this election doesn't turn out this way, I don't know what we're going to do. And I've had moments where I have had to stop and say, wait a minute. Isn't God ultimately in control? And haven't Christians lived for 20 centuries when there have been wars and rumors of war and when there have been upheaval and when there have been plagues and pestilence? And doesn't the faith of Jesus Christ and the church of Christ continue to move forward? I've had to say, 
if I really believe in this, then I care and I will vote, but I know where my trust is. Who do we serve? Who do we give more credence to? What do we give more credence to? Is it to the money? Is it to our IRAs? Is it to politics? Is it to one party or another? Or do we really believe that Jesus Christ is mighty to save? In the meditation today by Peter Kreeft, I think it's very powerful where he talks at the end, you know, we want all these things, but you can't get blood from a stone or divine joy from a non-divine thing. I've never had an IRA give me divine joy. And no matter how much I believe my politics, I've never had anything political come close to giving me divine joy. That is only found in Christ. But you say these things, and sometimes people think you've lost your mind because they are so accepted. They're so just taken. This is what runs our life. This is what controls us. A lot of people don't like the Old Testament. I had a conversation with my neighbor about this uh, this week. And, you know, it says in this passage that he took everybody who was worshiping like this and, and um, put them to the sword. And that sounds so terrible, and it is terrible. But I think maybe the way we should understand this is that what we worship, what we truly and genuinely worship is a matter of life and death. So wherever we are in our faith journey, if we find ourselves that we have accidentally, when we weren't paying any attention, begun to place divine expectation on things of this world that will never save us, then the time has come to repent. Shall we pray together? Oh God, restore our faith in you, not because you have changed or because in any way your power is diminished but because our vision has looked elsewhere. We ask that we would put aside things that no matter how important they are, that they do not provide divine joy and they cannot save us. Help us to give our ultimate devotion to you and to you alone. We ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord.